Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And we have got another great guest this evening, Kevin Wright. I reached out to him, I would say maybe a month and a half ago or something like that, um, when I started seeing what he was doing with his uh, Solve Advocacy. Um, he also advises the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, uh, SCU, as well. So I saw what he was doing. I thought it would be very interesting, and the timing kind of works for what's going on. They're still trying to uh, squash uh, the Schumer uh, situation. I'm going to play a clip quickly on that in just a minute. So um, anyway, it's Kevin Wright, and he will be on in, in just a minute as a guest. So the blog this week is the titled NASA and the UFO Problem, another great one by Charles Lear. It goes all the way back to uh, 1973, talks about when Jimmy Cotter uh, was involved and also talks about his sighting as well. And a very interesting blog by Charles Lear. Please uh, check that out when you can. Um, so if, you, if you're watching live in YouTube right now, you'll see in the chat, in the upper part of the chat, is pinned our newsletter. Anyone can join our newsletter. That's also on our website, podcastufo.com. It's over on the sidebar, but if you click in the live chat right now, you can sign up real quickly. Um, it opens in a new window. You can sign up your email address and get weekly newsletters that basically tell you what our blogs are going to be, a link to them, and also our guests and information about our guests. And sometimes that's really good to have because I'll announce, for instance, tonight, uh, as I know right now, uh, Michael Schratt will be here next week, but sometimes that changes. So, uh, you, you know, it's really good to get the updated information. And I do not send out a lot of those. They just go out one time a week if you're worried about any of that. So uh, getting a lot of uh, feedback, uh, some positive and some not so positive from what I'm doing with the uh, Crossfire. That's every Thursday night uh, with three other gentlemen. And that's right here on YouTube uh, live. And uh, so, uh, you know, I said in the beginning myself, that I didn't want to get into any of the politics out there. I just wanted to talk about UAP. Sometimes they're intertwined, so uh, I do understand that. But, you know, we got in a bit of a little uh, heated discussion last week. Some people love it. Um, I personally, uh, I'm not interested, as I say, into talking about politics because I think it opens a lot of, uh, you know, issues because of the divisiveness of this country. So I, I just don't want to get into that and cause all these discussions that lead away from the UAP subject. So uh, just a little discussion that I just wanted to get that out there. So every Thursday we're going to be running uh, this week. I'm not sure what the topic is yet. Uh, it might be about whistleblowers. So uh, check us at uh, 8 p.m. Thursday evenings right here on this YouTube channel and on KGRA Radio Live, which we are right now. And uh, we may take calls later on uh, during this show in itself. And I'm going to welcome our guest, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Martin. Like you said, uh, yes. in your opening monologue, we've been discussing this for quite some time. And uh, I'm thankful for you to have me on. That's right. And you were behind me. We, we were standing in that line on July 26 in Washington DC and unfortunately you were you should have been able to get into the room because I was I think I was number 12 and 13 in line with my producer and you were just uh, like 10 behind me 
yet you didn't get in with all the people that kind of slid in in front of us. I just barely got in, luckily. But it's unfortunate you went through all that trouble. And I really feel bad for the people that waited in line. Some people were waiting in line at, you know, 637 and didn't get in. Um, that should have been able to get in. But like I said, um, it's kind of who you know, and people slid in front of other people. And some people were uh, standing in line, supposedly, you know, as uh, a substitute. You know, I know uh, my friend Chris Lito had a substitute, and they went to the wrong building, so it didn't work anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did make it into the room, though. He did, yeah. He was the last person in the room, Chris yeah. was. But, so, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's an interesting story because I was actually there at about 6.30 as well. And, uh, yeah, so there were some placeholders there. They're paid to hold the place for other people. And so without naming the names of who those were, people were, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of people that were able to sort of jump in line. And I missed by, you know, a couple people. But that's okay. I was still there. Yeah. You know, uh, I was in the overflow room. And it was still a historic moment. And, you know, there were hundreds of yeah. people lined up in that hallway. And, you know, it was, it was pretty awesome. They they said I don't know if they anyone confirmed it or not, but they thought there was over a thousand people that showed up for that, and I don't know if there's any way to they could have counted that. But I did talk to someone in the hallway there, and they said they never they have never seen anything like that. So that is the key topic. Why this? Uh, I mean, that is the key reason why this topic is such a hot topic is because there are so many people interested. And and speaking of that, I'm going to play this. Uh, clip right here. This is uh, Chuck Schumer yesterday, I believe it was. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this, uh, this subject. Here we go. While it's not related to China, House Republicans are also attempting to kill another common sense bipartisan measure passed by the Senate, which, which I was proud to co-sponsor with Senator Rounds as the lead sponsor, to increase transparency around what the government does and does not know about unidentified aerial phenomena. Unidentified aerial phenomena generate intense curiosity for many Americans, and the risk for confusion and misinformation is high if the government isn't willing to be transparent. The measure I championed with Senator Rounds would create a board, just like we did with the JFK assassination records, to work through the declassification of many government records on UAPs. This model's been a terrific success for decades. It should be used again with UAPs, but once again, House Republicans are ready to kill this bipartisan provision. Now we're going to get the NDAA done this year, just like we have for more than six decades. So there it is. And, uh, you know, it's still hanging in the lurch at this point. Is that right? We, we, we don't really know what's going to happen with it. Yes. Uh, I think we should all be proceeding as though uh, this is still a fight that's to be had. The ink is not dry, you know, the die has not been cast yet. We need to all be fighting in favor of passing the Schumer Rounds United, or I'm sorry, the Unidentified Anomalous uh, Phenomena Act 2023 contained in the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, and keep working to make sure that's passed as it was written by Senator Schumer, Senator Rounds, and another bipartisan uh, group of senators, another three or four on, on each side. So, yeah, we need to keep fighting uh, because this is not yet decided. And, uh, you know, I, I usually ask people right off the bat, and I think we should back up just a little bit 
and get back into this. But basically, this is the first time you've been on this show. Sure. Um, you know, we've been we've talked on the phone a number of times, but let's let's find out who you are and what is the solve advocacy. What made you start that? And uh, I understand you uh, are involved in sort of um, would you call it cutting edge uh, or or things that are th this was something that interested you to to work in. Uh, and I know you do other things as well. So let's just, if you would, just fill in our audience with who you are, basically. Sure. So I've been working in Washington, D.C. for about 25 years uh, in various capacities, uh, research, uh, communications, public affairs, general political sort of matters, working on uh, political campaigns ranging from you know, things that are as small as, you know, county executive race to state and uh, state senator, state representative, all the way up to, you know, presidential super PACs, uh, public affairs campaigns, statewide ballot initiatives, nonprofits. So I've been in this game for a very long time, uh, but uh, I'd seen the last four or five years, um, I've become more and more disinterested from the regular sort of political uh, arguments and fights and partisanship. And so um, it dovetails sort of with what's going on now, but to get to where we got to with the UFO issue is that, you know, I started reading about consciousness studies and afterlife studies. And uh, if you have read about it for long enough, you realize that there is some sort of component uh, that seems to come together with this phenomena. And so, you know, growing up in the, in the 1980s and 1990s, um, you know, you watch the X-Files and those that sort of thing. And it's of interest. And, you know, I watched it. You know, the first six, seven seasons were great. Um, but I never really gave it that much thought. So when I started delving into these other sort of um, fringe, well, what would most people would call fringe subjects, I became aware that there was some sort of connection and correlation uh what's going on with this phenomena with uh, UAP UFOs. And it became sort of like an obsession that I needed to get started getting involved. And it became clear, obviously, that the government is hiding uh, significant data uh, from the public and the scientific community and the academic community. So about a year ago, I decided that I was going to start working on sort of this advocacy issue. And I started reaching out to people and trying to figure out who would be receptive to, you know, this sort of, this sort of work. Um, and what I found was that, you know, there's a lot of people that are receptive to it, but they're not necessarily, um, you know, willing to get their hands dirty and, you know, get the elbow grease and, you know, help make it work together. Uh, but that's coming together now in the last, you know, several months here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and you work, you know, we've, you actually uh, got me connected with Danny. I had talked to Danny Sheehan, you know, in line and, uh, you know, asked him if he'd be a guest or whatever, but he gave me one of his emails that he probably doesn't look at. You were kind enough to help me get him on the show last week. And, yeah. uh, and, I and we great, greatly appreciate it because it was sort of like a, we need to start getting, you know, Daniel Sheehan on some shows and talking about this and advocating because we're at a situation right now, it's a critical juncture of making sure that this, you know, UAPDA uh, amendment to the NDA passes. So I was so, you know, happy that you were receptive to that and helping us get him on, you know, last Tuesday. Thank you. Yeah, 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was really an interesting show and uh, lots of views on YouTube. There's a lot of people that have uh, watched that and a lot of downloads on audio as well. So it's it's good. Um, and I'm hoping that a lot of people have, you know, done some efforts and uh, contacting, you know, the representatives uh, to, you know, not have the Shermer Act go away. I was uh, I was now I was a little surprised at. Um, uh, Burchat was uh, trying to make his own type of uh, act, you know, kind of to maybe dovetail or to be something to be included in the National Defense uh, Funding Act that they do every year. Um, but uh, when I had I had uh, had Stephen Bassett on on our Crossfire show recently last Thursday. He basically says, no, that's not what we want. That's not good enough. And uh, so I wanted to get your opinion on that. I mean, I know I do appreciate Burchett's really good efforts trying to get transparency, but it, it doesn't go as deeply as as uh, Schirmer's, uh, Schumer's, right? Well, yes. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, Burchett and others who have um, you know, advocated for this are, I think, well-intentioned and well-meaning because they want uh, more disclosure of what the government knows uh, sooner than what the Schumer Rounds UAPDA amendment would provide. But uh, the problem with you know, the Burchette amendment is that, well, I mean, there's a number of it. I mean, it's three paragraphs long, is directed only at the Department of Defense, uh, it addresses uh, in, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, which does not then include, I mean, so we have to consider the fact that in all of this stuff, we are, we're talking about parlance and, you know, word, word games and word salad and, and things. So if we define something as narrow as unidentified aerial phenomena, we're not talking about the overall phenomena, which would also include like underwater, or I'm sorry, uh, unidentified submerged objects, which is a very real issue too, which the Schumer Amendment would address because it addresses unidentified anomalous phenomena. So when you talk about only unidentified aerial phenomena, you're excluding a whole wide range of other issues that are engaged or that are involved in this issue. So, I mean, that's one significant flaw. The other flaw is that, you know, addresses only Department of Defense. It doesn't address the intelligence community. It doesn't ad address aerospace uh, de defense contractors. It, it doesn't defense or doesn't uh, address a number of issues here. So there are all sorts of loopholes here. It looks like sort of like a piece of Swiss cheese that the gatekeepers are going to drive all the information through and forget about it, you know, so. Hmm. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this. Would it be better than nothing, or should we not even think about that type of uh, of that type of thought process? Are we talking about Schumer or Burchett? <laughs> oh yeah, Burchett. I mean, yeah. Well, we not, I think as we a, not even try to go in that direction at all. If if that's what it's you know if it's going to be a problem. Well, I think there's nothing wrong with passing the Burchette Amendment to the Schumer Amendment, 
but it would be a tack on at the end of the Schumer amendment okay. to the NDA. So yeah. I think there's nothing wrong with passing yeah. it. The problem is that you know you're not likely to get much from it. But we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're going to you know advocate here and get these amendments passed. And then you know no legislation is perfect. It doesn't matter if it's a Democratic piece of legislation or Republican piece of legislation. We can always go back and revisit them. We can amend them. We can pass new legislation, but we can't say this isn't perfect. You know, we can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. We have to continue forward and continue pressing Congress, continue pressing the government, advocating for truth and transparency and open and honest government. Right, right. Here's a, it's a good question I ask people if they'd put uh, questions in caps and, uh, I, how's how's the dog doing? <laughs> that's well. That's someone. Hopefully, to take that will care stop of them, right? very soon. Yeah, I have somebody yeah. coming to help with kids putting the kids to bed and stuff. So, but hopefully, yeah, that'll be yeah. over very soon. Okay, so here's a, I think is a good question. Uh, we don't really know who would be on the board, or do we have any idea who would be on that board? Well, I see the question here. So the Schumer board. It's not the Schumer board, uh, with all due respect, uh, it is the presidential board. So the president of the United States, in this case, Joe Biden, will nominate the nine people that will sit on this board. And then the uh, United States Senate will confirm them or or not. So uh, we have lots of people that are going to probably be um, you know, transmitting recommendations to the president of the United States in the White House, uh, Daniel Sheehan and the New Paradigm Institute is one of those organizations that will be recommending people to the White House uh, for people who should be sitting on this board, which will include a host of people of, uh, you know, a diverse sector of people that are all civilians that have various experience in, you know, uh, sociology and history and, and various things. So um, we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, first of all, we have to get this amendment passed. Once it's passed, then we'll advocate for the people who should be on the board. And then we will advocate, you know, for or against whoever it is that the president of the United States nominates to it when it goes before the Senate for them to confirm. So where does it, um, do we know when this is going to be voted on? Well, we don't know exactly, uh, but I think we should run under the assumption that probably by Monday, December 11th, the die will be cast because the house is scheduled to leave on recess on Thursday, the 14th, I believe it is. So we still have a little bit of time uh, to advocate and, you know, convince members of the Congress that they need to support the Schumer rounds amendment and do so as it was written by Schumer rounds, Marco Rubio, Kristen Gillibrand and others, and say that this is, this is the legislation that we want. This is the one that we demand and needs to be included. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like whatever someone can do to help out there. Uh, we had information in our last show on, you know, Twitter handles, things like that. But I mean, phone calls, anything, any type of agitation, basically, that you can give that you can give your representative, your senator. Uh, you have to basically work in your districts type of situation. Right. Anything can be found online, though, through searching wherever you live, right? Right, but there's a lot of easy ways to do this. 
For example, uh, Danny Sheehan's New Paradigm Institute, there's a call to action on the homepage. You click that button and you, all you have to do is put in your name and your address and your zip code, and it will organize for you who your representative is in your district and your two home state senators, and it will automatically send a pre-filled out letter that you can also amend and add your own personal like you know flavor to it but it'll send the email to each uh or to your representative and to both of your states or your uh senators uh at congress and send them that letter so that's what we're advocating for to do but we could also have people you know hand handwriting letters because that also means a significant amount of time and investment and care and cause uh, that, you know, the district offices will, you know, take into account that you have taken that time to do so. So, but also make phone calls, you know, write a letter to the editor of your local newspaper in your district and advocate for transparency from the government and from your representative and your senators that this is an issue that you care about because it extends way beyond just UAP. This is something that uh, you know, affects all of us in a in a much deeper way in terms of government transparency and uh, and having an open and honest government that works for us rather than working against us in this in the sense that it's keeping secrets and it's hiding secrets to protect itself so that we don't know what it's doing. So we're not issue advocating, we're not doing things, we're not voting, we're not we're just sort of like walking around and not uh, you know being participants in our democracy. And so do you, uh, you know, you obviously watched the show last week and do yeah. you agree with a lot of what he, uh, of what Danny said, as far as, you know, that, uh, um, that, you know, there's, there's money involved here. It campaign funds, things like that. Uh, do you, do you think that they're actually, also, do you believe that they're playing a part in what's going on here? Well, I think in the term, you know, it, with regards to Mike Turner uh, in Ohio's uh, 10th district and Mike Rogers in Alabama's, I think, second district. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about uh, I think Mike Rogers has taken something around two point four million dollars from defense military military industrial complex donors. That's a significant mm -hmm. amount of money over the course of, uh, you know, his career in Congress. And I think Mike Turner is probably taking about something like 1.7 million, I believe it is. That's a significant amount of money. You know, I mean, money yeah. corrupts. But I have to tell you that I, I think it runs deeper than that because, um, and this sort of gets back down to the more base level about government transparency and what it does uh, and working for you or working for itself is that, you know, some of these people are more uh, Niccolo Machiavellian than they are Thomas Jefferson. You know, they enjoy having that information to themselves, but they don't necessarily want you to have it. They think that mm -hmm. they are in a position to determine what information that you should be allowed to have. And it's a source of power and persuasion and a way for them to maintain that power, but it's also a symptom of, uh, you know, a government that we have that is really has, you know, this sort of unelected bureaucracy within it that churns and continues to perpetuate, you know, this lie of, you know, UFOs. 
which is something that they actually created themselves. They created this stigma to have people not believe that this is true, to make fun of each other, so they can't have a public discourse about it. And this gets back to them having this power because it's protecting itself. Because if people are talking about UFOs and something being out there and uh, not being ridiculed about it, they can make an issue of it and an election issue of it. So what they want to do is make sure they tamp down on that and say, no, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. And, you know, they've had Hollywood buy in. They've had, you know, all kinds of buy in to help perpetuate that myth. But it's really what it is, is a disinformation campaign against the American public, which is illegal. But they continue to get away with it. Right. You know, uh, for the person that's uh, new to this subject, and there's a lot of people that are, I always have to keep that in mind. You know, the Robertson panel was back in, you know, 19, uh, I want to say, was it 53? I think it was 1953. And that basically, that panel was all about coming up with ways to, uh, to, to get people to look away from this topic or be afraid to talk about it basically. Right. So that's, that's where all the ridicule basically started in 1953 Robertson panel. Um, you can look that up, uh, just Google that, but it's an interesting way that the government was trying to steer people away from, you know, reporting and talking about it and turning it to, so they were embarrassed, would be embarrassed to talk about it. And that's why the stigma is still out there today. And the reason why was because 1952, there was so many UFO sightings. It was just incredible. It's, it was a banner year and they just didn't know what to do, which way to turn. And, and, and so that's what they came up with. And so that's, so you can basically say since 1952, that the topic has been pushed as something the tinfoil hats would be interested in and all that. But, uh, I don't know if you were looking at this topic at all, uh, Kevin, prior to the New York Times article coming out in 2017. Uh, but, you know, before that, I would say there's less ridicule now. There's still some ridicule, but much less ever since that article came out in the, the Times and people started looking at this, you know, without, uh, you know, without uh, thinking it was just a big joke. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think the veil of sort of that wall that was built up to ridicule people and, you know, put them in the corner with the dunce hat on, the tinfoil hat, and say these people are crazy and stupid so that you don't discuss it, that is certainly, um, you know, that veil is sort of, you know, lifting. But, you know, it is still there because the vast majority of people, you know, we're talking on this podcast and we engage on UFO Twitter and all these other social media, you know, areas, but we're a, a small segment of society. Most people yes. are not paying attention to this issue, but which gets back to yeah. sort of more the disinformation campaign, which is, you know, wrapped in the, the, the mainstream media and the legacy media and, and convincing them that they cannot cover this issue. Uh, one for fear of, you know, damaging their prestige and talking about something is, you know, ridiculous and silly as UFOs, but also that they're, you know, afraid that, you know, certain reporters and things are afraid that they're not going to get access to the information that they've been privy to from places like the Department of Defense or the intelligence communities or other defense contractors or other inside sources that are, you know, tangentially involved here 
that it's like Ross Coltart talks about, you know, the drip, where if you're not getting this information, you're kind of, your, your, your writing career as a reporter is kind of finished. So you're going to keep wanting that drip. You're going to want to keep getting that information from that source. So you're not going to go against that source and report against something that goes against them, which would be the truth, which is that this is a reality, that this is happening, that this is here. And, you know, it's in our atmosphere. It's in our waters. The part that you said uh, about earlier, you were talking about, you know, USOs. You just said waters right there, mm -hmm. but... Um, also, along those lines, isn't it supposed to be like they call it the all-domain anomaly? So that would include, supposedly include USOs? Yeah, I, I mean, it's sort of like one of those Pentagon sort of clever names that they come up with. I mean, they had the uh, AMS, AMSWOG or, you know, what are, some, they have all these clever names that they come up with to sort of continue yeah. to obfuscate and, you know, confuse people as to what's really going on. But the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office uh, was officially uh, enacted as part of the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, sort of like what we're trying to do this year. But it was last year. It was in December uh, as well. And I think the President of the United States signed it, uh, Joe Biden signed it on Christmas Eve, actually, December 24th. And in that piece of legislation, it established you know, formally the Arrow Office, which would investigate, uh, you know, essentially disinformation campaigns going back to uh, 1945, which would predate uh, Roswell, would investigate crash retrievals, it would investigate uh, reverse engineering programs, you know, a whole host of things. So uh, the what I would say is that Arrow, as it was written into law, uh, has not fulfilled its legislative intent. It has, mm -hmm. you know, filled its office with uh, people who are in the intelligence community, like Dr. Shankar Patrick. You know, I was at an event uh, a couple weeks ago where Dr. Uh, Kirkpatrick was, you know, um, you know, speaking with a, a sort of a Q and A thing back and forth with a Washington yeah. Post reporter. And it was at uh, George Mason University. And who was sitting front row? It was Ooh. the public, public affairs uh, person from the Department of Defense, which is Susan Gall. Oh, Susan. Yep. Right. Handler. You know, she's sitting there taking notes. I mean, you can't make this up. You know, they're, it's a wordsmith salad thing that they do of all these different names, and they just play these games. And they just keep playing, playing this game. So, uh, you know, I don't know. One of the things I thought when I ran the Shermer clip, you know, uh, a few minutes ago, was he made he makes a very good point. If there's not transparency, there's going to be disinformation, and of course, you know, there's going to be more conspiracies, probably worse conspiracies than the things that they really know. You know, <laughs> so. Uh, it is. It does seem like it would be in their interest um, not to have that headache of all the disinformation that could come about by not having this thing. However, I totally get you know what Danny mentioned last week, where you know there there's these are in 
they're in people's pockets. There's no way they're going to, and you made a really good point too about the information. They just may want to hang on to that, but also because it's like a power type of situation, but also if they actually do have this incredible technology that they're working on, uh, it would be like the last thing in the world and they would fight in every which way. I believe, I'm, I'm just guessing here, theorizing, but I would say that they'd fight in every which way they could possibly fight to hang on to this tech, otherworldly technology if it does exist. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, the military uh, industrial complex is about weapons and weapons platforms, right? I mean, hmm. that's what they do. So if the allegations are true that we have recovered craft and we have ceded them to uh, defense contractors, then obviously the ultimate goal is to build weapons and weapon platforms and first strike capabilities. That That's just awful if you really think about it. I mean, uh, my producer and I talk about this all the time that yeah, it's just all the different ways we try to figure out to kill each other. You know, it's so it's so brutal, you know, and uh, no wonder they don't want to ever show themselves to us, <laughs> you know, whoever they are, um, right. just because of our tribal, uh, you know, our, our ways. But, uh, you know, I know money is the big controller here. Uh, money and, uh, you know, whether it comes to, uh, natural resources or whatever. There's always there's always a struggle. There's always, you know, one one way to conquer the other. You know that that type of situation. Um, so, what are your thoughts? Do you think there really is this? I'm just asking for your opinion right now, your personal opinion. Would you think there's a pretty good bet that this there are some uh, of these craft out there, or are you just uh, you just interested to find out? Well, personally, I'm convinced that there are. Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm not advocating yeah. for the truth to find out that there's nothing there. I'm advocating for the truth because there is something there. You know, hmm. look, Senator Schumer, Senator Rounds, and other senators that participated in the drafting of this amendment, which is 64 pages long. Somebody writes an right. amendment, like Tim Burchett, it's three paragraphs. You know, an yeah. amendment isn't usually something that's so elaborate that it, that encompasses 64 pages. It doesn't talk about non-human intelligence and, you know, uh, all these various components of this amendment if they don't already know that this is true. I mean, anybody that tells you, yeah. I see it on, 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 you know, Twitter and other things where, you know, some people make the argument that somehow... You know, Chris Mellon and Lou Alessandro and uh, David Grush and these other people have somehow convinced really very sober, powerful people like Chuck Schumer that this is, you know, uh, a reality when it really isn't is just on its face preposterous. It's so absurd to even make that example. You know, this is a reality. Chuck Schumer, Marco Rubio, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, Mike Rounds, these people would not put their names to a piece of legislation and advocate for it. You know, Senator Schumer got on the floor uh, a couple months ago talking about the amendment 
And he listed about four things that was in the NDA and other pieces of legislation coming at the end of the year that were of vital, critical importance. This was one of them. He's not going to advocate this if it's not true. He knows he's a member of the Gang of Eight. They've had whistleblowers come forward. They've had any number of other people, you know, come forward and they've had investigations. They've been doing this for, you know, three or four years now. You know, this isn't a joke. This is real. This is what's going on. This is what they're pushing because they believe the American public need to know what the government actually knows about this issue. Right. Um, you know, I, um, I'm trying to put in this amendment PDF and I got to tell you, that I had posted it last week and I'm just putting it right now. And so people can see it at least on YouTube and I'll put it in the show notes. But what happened was that 64 page PDF all of a sudden um, goes nowhere. So I don't know yeah. what happened to the link, but I found, I found a new one and uh, I just posted that in the, yeah. the live. So yeah, check that out. That is so thorough. You know I mean? It, it gets it anything uh, you know, I had this question, I think I asked Danny last week was, uh, you know, is there any way that they can, you know, try to bury this stuff, you know, try to hide it, try to disassociate themselves, maybe start a new corporation and kind of push it off onto them, you know, that type of situation. And he says, no, the Schumer gets right in, Schumer's thing gets right in there to every which way. So they can't, there's nothing they can do to basically, if they have it, they got to come clean with it. And I think that would... Uh, scare anyone like you're talking about the industrial military industrial complex, anyone that's vested in this thing, um, you know, they're, they're going to try to figure out different ways to stop this whole thing from happening. So, well, you know, yeah, I mean, the eminent domain issue is, you know, is significant because uh, there is an enormous amount at stake for, you know, all the parties involved. You know, we're talking about, you know, if Lockheed Martin has, uh, as has been alleged, a uh, piece or intact piece of technology or whole technology, and it was ceded by the government, then you'd have all kinds of people very upset, like, say, the tech industry saying you gave Lockheed Martin or Pacific industry this technology and give them unfair, you know, advantage in, in the competition industry. <clears throat> you also have uh, other issues involved here where if Lockheed Martin is filing SEC filings and saying, you know, this is what we're doing, this is what we have, what we're working on. Obviously, you know, they don't get into some of the black budget issues because it's national security and top secret. But there is uh, probably a significant amount of um, of potential danger there to these companies because they have shareholders. They don't want to open themselves up to shareholder lawsuits. Yeah. So, I mean, this disclosure process isn't, isn't easy. It's not as simple as saying to the public, this is, you know, what we know, this is what we have, this is what we don't know, because it has widespread repercussions that, even if we sit down and, and try to like game plan all of those repercussions, we might not even think of all of them. You know, let's just say, for example, that uh, people have had, you know, actual uh, physical contact 
uh, with some of these UAP or pilots of UAP, let's just say, uh, and they've had physiological or psychological impacts as a result. If we acknowledge that reality, what's that impact on the insurance industry? They're mm. going to have to start covering, you know, medical benefits and things that aren't even, you know, written into uh, all <laughs> the underwriting and things, right? Also life insurance mm. policies. I mean, those are just a couple of examples here, but you know, when we talk about the disclosure and just everybody should have all the information all at once or something like that, you know, there are significant issues involved with, you know, with that happening. So to get back to the Schumer Amendment, it's what we would call a controlled disclosure over a period of time that allows for, you know, us to sort of digest not just the reality of this information for the public, but also for, uh, you know, industry and legislation and regulation and everything else to catch up. What not passing the Schumer Amendment does is uh, potentially open the doorway to catastrophic disclosure, which is a plethora of whistleblowers coming forward and, you know, just putting all this on the table. And then we're all like, oh, my God. Right. And then. Yeah. The chips fall down on the on, on the table and you see where they land and then we might be in trouble. So it would be in the best interest of Mike Rogers and Mike Turner and Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and everybody else involved to pass this amendment and get this information out, but do so in a responsible way that doesn't wreak havoc. Um, now, last Wednesday, someone sent me an email and said one of the mics uh, changed his course and now is, you know, agreeing that we should have this. Was that just a, like a rumor going around? Do you know, do you know anything about that? Uh, so I think, well, I can't say for sure exactly what your, you know, your listener or audience member was saying, but I'm going to presume that they were probably talking about uh, the press conference last week with Timbershed and uh, Representative Luna and Moskowitz and others, where I believe it was uh, Representative Gates said that uh, Representative Rogers from Alabama was on board with their amendment, which would be the Burchette. Oh, that's amendment. what it is. So yeah. okay. that's a bit of a ruse, though, right? Yeah. yeah. If you could say, you know, Michael or Mike Rogers, Representative Mike Rogers from Alabama District 2 is on or is in favor of disclosure because he supports our amendment. That's uh, that's B that, that, that's BS. Right. Because yeah. we already know that the Burchette Amendment has many, many deficiencies uh, that allows, you know, the gatekeepers to travel through these Swiss cheese holes and not provide any meaningful substantive information to the public. So mm -hmm. saying that somebody switched their position, that's sort of, you know, what these chameleons do in, in Congress mm -hmm. is they, they make themselves look like they're doing something. You know, it's, it's three card Monty is what it is. Yeah. I, I do believe that those people you mentioned, Luna, Burchett and Gates, they all seem very, interested in this uh and this happening you know i mean they all see they're really pushing for transparency so you know i mean I, i'm so glad that this is a bipartisan situation 
you know, where uh, you can't really point the finger, hey, it's just the, you know, like I mentioned in the monologue when I started how divisive our country is. So it's like, it's not, you know, up Republicans against Democrats. It's like oh, everybody's on board with this happening. And just like, you know, Schumer said in the beginning that there's great public interest in knowing what these things are. And, uh, but, but the, yeah, so if, if I, is, if I may, yeah, if I may just say real quickly yes, here, go ahead. you know, yeah. when I speak about the Bruchette amendment or that press conference from last week, it's not meant to disparage Bruchette or Luna or Moskowitz or Gates or anybody else. It's just, I think that their, their amendment is, uh, me be well-intentioned, but it is not, you know, uh, it's not hitting the target. It's not going to result in yeah. what they hope or intend that it will. So, but I'll let you finish, yeah. but I would love to talk about the bipartisanship about, the, about this because although, you know, Senator Schumer was talking yesterday on the Senate floor about, you know, uh, House Republicans, it's really about a handful of House Republicans, but this really is a very bipartisan issue, but please go, go ahead. No, uh, I think that was, I was kind of wrapping up right there, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I'm just happy that it's not, I, I just think that it, there is great public interest in this, but then again, you were speaking, you're right, you know, us uh, on there that tweet out or X out, whatever you want to call it today <laughs> on Twitter or X, whatever it is, uh, we are a very small percentage. Yeah. You know, it's just... And so with that in mind, do you see this type of situation in other avenues of what you look into, uh, whoever you advocate for? Um, are there other similar things or is this kind of like a, a thing on its own because of the implications of it? Well, this is very unique, um, but I think there are avenues uh, to reach way beyond uh, sort of this niche community within like the, the social media, whether it's, you know, Reddit. Reddit actually has, you know, if it's like r slash UFO, you know, a, a, a gigantic following. But, you know, you have UFO mm -hmm. Twitter, you have uh, Instagram and Facebook. And there's so there is a community, but it is relatively small in comparison to the rest of our country. So what we yeah. have to do is find a way to reach beyond, you know, this sort of echo chamber where we're all sort of talking about the same thing, whether I'm on your podcast or it's Danny Sheehan or, you know, Ross Coulthard or Louis Elizondo or Chris Mellon or anybody else, you know, the Richard Dolans and all these people going on shows and, you know, talking about these things and you have really the same audience over and over and over again. We have to reach way beyond that. And so yeah. it's my opinion that, we have to go to the American public and uh, talk to them about this issue, but we can't just jump out there and scream aliens. We have to talk, you know, we have to sort of bring them along with us because we're already, you know, above like their sort of like knowledge base. So we have to inform them and then bring them along and then mobilize them. And, you know, one of the ideas that I have and, uh, I hope that we're going to have an op-ed coming up in the Roswell Daily Record soon um, talking about this, which is that, you know, people value uh, an open and honest and transparent government. 
polls show yeah. that people have lost their faith in government institutions. We're at near or historic lows in faith in Congress, in faith in the presidency, in faith in the Supreme Court, the, judici the judiciary. And they've also lost faith in uh, faith and trust in the media. So what we have to do is go to the public or personally and make an appeal to them, which they already know, which is that the government is no longer working for them. We need to bring them along to like lift back up that torch of liberty and say, we are going to fight for this because you're going to start working for us. Because what right now the government hides behind sources and methods and national security. It is a impregnable legal shield that they use. The courts will defer to it all the way up to the Supreme Court and say, if the, if, if the government comes and says it's a national, na matter of national security, we are going to side with the government. That's no longer the case. We're going to fight against that and say, we're going to take this back from our unelected officials and bureaucrats and say that just because we allowed somebody to pass a law that becomes, uh, you know, gives authority to somebody, we're not going to let them hide the secrets anymore. And we're going to take this into districts and states and advocate for it and make sure that people understand that we're going to fight for it. Right. Right. Um, we have a caller uh, on line one. And let's see, Ken from New York. Uh, we only have a couple minutes, Ken. Welcome to the show. You have a question for our guest? Thank you, Martin. Yes, um, I was curious. Uh, with the situation with David Fravor chasing the Tic Tac and what appeared to be a launch platform from a submarine, do you think that this technology could be our technology and they were testing the Air Force against the Navy? Uh, in my opinion, no. You know, they have like, you know, you know, blue on blue and whatnot. And uh, it would be dangerous to test such technologies against ourselves with unwitting, uh, you know, friendly fire. So uh, most people, I think, would say the answer to that is no. And, you know, this isn't exactly new. People have seen Tic Tacs or what we're calling a Tic Tacs, which is also looks like a propane tank or something like that. And you have reports of this going back to like the 1960s and 70s. We certainly didn't have that technology then. So uh, what David Fravor and um, uh, Commander Dietrich and others saw, uh, in my mind, is not our technology. It is not Russian. It is not Chinese. It is something else. And, you know, we have evidence of other things being inside the waters of our oceans and possibly lakes. You know, when I was at the Seoul uh, Foundation Symposium a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Kevin Knuth, who is a member of the Scientific Coalition for UAB Studies and uh, uh, is involved in lots of other things, you know, gave a presentation about, uh, you know, sonar readings on an underwater submerged object that uh, was about 30% larger than uh, any um, attack uh, nuclear submarine that is in uh, U.S. possession and uh, did not have a water signature that would indicate something actually moving through water, but they did have a radar uh, ping on it, and it was traveling at 3,000 miles an hour. 3,000? 
Well, 2,900 oh, oh and something. But yeah, yeah you get to the That's point. I mean, basic. something traveling yeah. through water without displacing water, but was able to pick up a radar signature on it and was traveling, you know, faster than most planes can travel in uh, the atmosphere, but in the water. So, you know, that is if, if, crazy. I, I think that people that assert that it was just, you know, an American submarine, it was some launch platform, uh, and it was some American device of some sort, a drone or something, you know, is just is, isn't paying attention, hasn't read the literature, and isn't doing anything about uh, informing themselves about the historical nature, about this phenomenon existing for decades, if not hundreds or thousands of years. Right. So right now we're just going to say goodbye. If you don't mind continuing on a little bit here, we're going to say goodbye to everyone over at KGRA Radio. We'll be back next week with Michael Schratt. And thank you all for listening, everyone over there at KGRA. So, uh, yes, uh, you know, you mentioned that. And I have a friend, uh, a friend of this show, too. He's been on many times. And uh, Mark D'Antonio, he's an astronomer. He was yeah. on a Navy submarine you know who mark is yeah, yeah. he was uh, and he saw you know they had a fast walker or a fast mover or whatever it was uh and you know that was 200 knots that was you know back many years ago i just have to say thank you to kgra over there and uh so you know i mean it doesn't surprise me and when i had scott cassell who was I had an encounter, a USO encounter, a very, very interesting encounter with a cubed object. One of the things um, he said was that, you know, when this thing moved, it should have displaced water. It moved away from him. He said he's been near uh, whales when they do that, and it kind of swirls you around, you know, and this thing did nothing at all, you know, which I think is fascinating which doesn't make any sense that we know. Of course, uh, like someone said on one of my shows, there's no such thing. I think it was last week, uh, uh, a, a astrophysicist was on my show and he said, you know, there's no magic, aliens can't have magic, you know? So it's something that whatever the technology is and the intelligence is that they know how to do that that we can't understand it yet, but there is a way to do it somehow, not displace water and to go through at any speed you want. And that that's always been a fascination with me when I think about if, say, a UFO travels, you know, 41, you know, four light years, let's just say from the nearest stars, four light years away, and they travel here. Well, there's an awful lot of debris between, even though space is mostly empty, there's still debris out there that they could run into whatever speed they're going at. It seems like it would destroy anything, but it's probably the same type of situation that they can go through the media, no matter what it is, whether it's space or anything, and not have any type of collision or friction or any type of situation, which is really fascinating to really think about. You know, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean. Just I'm not a nuts and bolts guy. You know, I work with uh, the, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies, and we have, a, you know, a, a great group of scientists and engineers and academics and things. And they're the ones that sort of study that, and they're, like, really super interested in all those nuts and bolts and 
how would this work? How does this, you know, how did this do this or that? So I, you know, I can't hypothesize about any of those things, except, you know, we talk about, um, you know, anti-gravity and various things. And we go back to like the 1950s and there was a lot of literature about this sort of thing. And all of a sudden it stopped. And the question always becomes, why did it stop? Hmm. Because there's probably something to it. And there's, you know, I don't want to hypothesize again, but there's probably something about, you know, this technology that puts it in some sort of, you know, bubble that allows it to do what it does, that defies gravity, that defies uh, physics as we understand it, uh, probably doesn't defy physics entirely, but just as we understand it in terms of our uh, engineering and mathematics and things like that. Uh, but clearly something's going on where it's able to do various things like travel through the water without the water displacement, you know, uh, do 90 degree turns, uh, you know, going, you know, Mach 5, traveling from 80,000 feet uh, down to sea level in a matter of, you know, a second and traveling at thousands of miles per hour and doing all the things that do it does that would transform a human if it was inside of this thing without some sort of protective bubble of some sort it would turn it into soup so yeah. there's clearly something going on there that uh you know uh who was the wrote the book uh managing magic i think it was uh nicholas redfern you know talks about this and uh, oh, obviously yeah. uh uh dr jacques Vallée talks about this you know numerous times in his books about what we see as um you know, this technology, we often think of it as magic or, you know, in, you know, medieval times, we might have thought about it as like fairies or some other thing, because sure. it is so inexplicable. And we can't wrap our yeah. minds around how these things can do these things, uh, given the knowledge that we have. Right. Yes. Uh, now, this is going back to this whole situation about the Schumer act and all that and uh this question <laughs> is on i like his uh i like his icon image too i love it uh why the lack of mainstream media coverage on this and that's what i've been really puzzled by you know i mean ever since july 26th when we were at that hearing it seemed like there was very very little coverage it was such a major thing to have a hearing on and yet there was so little mainstream media covering it very little uh, you know, there's News Nation. There's a, a couple of other ones. I can't remember the Hill, maybe, or some other channels that were covering this pretty well. But what the heck? What's happening with that? So uh, uh, News Nation has done, in terms of uh, you know, sort of broadcast uh, internet uh, news coverage. I would say that News Nation has been leading the way. I mean, they were the ones that had the first interview. Uh, you know. Uh, it wasn't live, but it was recorded, but, you know, online for people to interact with David Grush, uh, with Ross right. Coltart. You know, the original story yeah. was published in The Debrief, which is another great uh, publication or, uh, you know, outlet yep. who's leading the way on UAP and science and technology. Uh, and they led with the story, I think it was in like June 5th or something. Uh, and it was written by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. Blau, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ralph Blumenthal. Um, and, you know, excellent article. And then, uh, you know, they did some coordination with Ross because they were all sort of, you know, working the same story. 
So Ross followed it up, uh, you know, the following with News Nation. Um, but as to why, uh, the Hill has also done a great job with uh, Joe Khalil yeah. and uh, Merrick. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the name Merrick von Ramakampf, uh, you know, on the Hill. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> but uh, yeah. so those three or four outlets have done you know a, a remarkable job. The Politico has Politico has done a good job too because they've had some guest guest uh, opinion op eds by you know Christopher Mellon and a, and a few others. But um, so as far as why the mainstream media isn't covering it, you know we sort of touched on this earlier, which is that it's been made to be such a, a an issue of ridicule that they're afraid to cover it for fear that their readers are going to, you know, say that they're crazy and whatnot. But, uh, but I think even more importantly, that they're afraid of the government no longer providing their inside sources to their reporters and giving them their insider information and their anonymous source articles. And, you know, according to anonymous sources, you know, so-and-so said this about what the government's doing. And if they report on this, they're afraid that that source is going to dry up and they don't get that drip like Ross Colthart uh, referred to on uh, Need to Know, which is also another great platform of great insight yes. as to what's going on. Yeah. I hope uh, that answers the question uh, for whoever asked it. But. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Bryce uh, and Ross have both been on the show, but uh, Bryce and I go way back and uh I'm really glad he hooked up with Ross. It's a yeah, really it's a great good show. team. They do a really it's nice, a show. really nice job. Yes, always look. Forward Maybe to someday they'll have me on. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I've been. Uh, I I've been after Ross since. Uh, let's see, G June, June, and uh, been trying to get him back on the show, and he's just so so busy, and uh, he was uh, going to try to be on. Next week, but it's just it, it can't happen. So uh, I'll say, uh, you know, I, I really have would really respect the work he's doing and and hope to get him back. You know, within the next couple of months, he should be on. I I imagine on this, but he's always yeah, so I've, great, I've, I've communicated with him guest. a couple of times uh, over the last year. He probably doesn't even realize it. You know, he gets thousands of emails, but I met him at yes. uh, the Soul Symposium uh, a few weeks ago. And I wanted to ask him, but didn't have the opportunity. I want to say, you know, you travel back and forth between Australia and the United States so many times. Like, how do you like manage all that jet lag? Like, yes, man is like a oh machine. Oh my god, because it's so. <laughs> it's like it's so, the traveling to Australia is takes you know. Oh, it's a, you. You gotta yeah. you gotta have at least a couple of days to to try to get you know try to get back to normal. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so. Yeah. Uh, so someone just, uh, I'm not sure, I don't know this for sure, but this person is stating that the Grush will have a new News Nation interview on December 11th. We'll be looking I've forward that to too. that. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that. Oh, you have. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, I was a little bit worried about David Grush being on, you know, several shows because I, I just was really hoping that, you know, it would kind of just see where his thing went first before he started talking on people's shows. But uh, so far that I've seen now, uh, a lot of people sent me, um, you know, clips and things from Joe Rogan. I did not watch that. 
I don't know if you watched it, but I did not watch that yet. But I, so far, I think he's been really holding his own. I haven't seen anything out there that makes me think, you know, think any less of him in any type of way or whatever. He has a, a solid invitation to this show <laughs> that uh, I've sent through people that know him. And so he he's aware of this show. He's uh, he watched uh, he did watch one of my shows and talked about it with this person. But uh, yeah, I hope to get him on at some point. I think. Uh, well, I have to be honest. I don't have an inside track on that, so I yeah. can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> good luck yeah. with that. But, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you know, let's just say that uh, this amendment passes or whatever. What's some other things that you would do? while working for, you know, uh, transparency through your foundation on this? Well, uh, so, you know, the, the Schumer rounds, uh, UAPDA is not perfect. Uh, it does have carve outs and caveats and, uh, ways to continue, uh, the cover up and, uh, not divulge information to the public, which is, you know, that the president of the United States will have ultimately authority to uh, say no, just like the JFK presidential uh, review records board. And, you know, President Trump uh, in 2017 and uh, President Biden in 2019 both decided against uh, releasing certain records, even though in 2017, that's the, that was the time frame that was up for all the records to be, to be released. So there is potential. Are you talking about JFK records? Yes. So mm -hmm. the, the the UAPDA and the and the Presidential Review Board will be modeled after that. So there are yes. problems with it in that we still don't have documents today that relate to the JFK assassination. Right. Because the President of the United States has the ability to say, you know, we're going to continue to withhold that. So that will that would exist within you know the Schumer rounds amendment, uh, which is of course a problem. There are also other problems too. But like I said, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not going to um, you know say we're this is imperfect legislation. So we're not going to continue to advocate for it because we need to, and we can improve upon it you know as we move forward. And one of the things we can do is continue to advocate for Congress to set up a select committee or, you know, short of that, we need to have the oversight committee uh, and the intelligence community, uh, you know, the House uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, uh, the, the, the Senate uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, these committees to have hearings to get this information out to the public because, uh, you know, it's vitally important that people know exactly what the government knows. But even more importantly is, you know, they say that the cover-up is, uh, is, is, is more important than the crime itself. And I think that's one of the yeah. reasons why this secret has been kept for so long is that the government doesn't want people to know what it has done in furtherance of this cover-up. And the only way yes. we're ever actually going to get to know that is if we have uh, real investigative uh, committees doing hearings in front of the public and letting them know and putting people under oath and having subpoena power to let them know what it is that the government's done to the American people. Uh, and particularly, you know, certain individuals in the community uh, over the decades of what has transpired in furtherance of this cover-up. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've always thought that would be, you know, the, the tough situation, like for them to, <clears throat> excuse me, once it was found out that there was things that were hidden and covered up, then they would just have so much explaining to do. And, you know, they would, they, people would start thinking, well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, this happened then, or that person was, you know, banished for this reason, for that, or, you know, I mean, there's so many situations. People somehow, somehow committed suicide. It happened. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's happened. Yeah. So, uh, solve advocacy. Um, can someone reach out to you for, you know, just advice on how to help, you know, I mean, with this type of situation, are you, what I'm trying to say, uh, you know, you, you, you've gotten your documents to me, but is there a reason people can contact you? Would there be something they could help you with or anything like that on your website? Sure. So, you know, I'm working with a lot of different people in this space, but, you know, my intention is to do more than just UAP advocacy. It's to talk about a whole host of issues and help people, you know, in what uh, we call edge sciences, which would, con which would yes. include uh, consciousness studies and uh, other issues. But, you know, so I've also been working with uh, Randall Nickerson, who is the, um, the, the director and self-financier mostly of Aerial Phenomena which is a wonderful documentary, one of probably the best UFO documentaries uh, that's ever been made, which was about the aerial school uh, sighting in 1994 in Zimbabwe. Um, you know, it's a historic case because it's one of the most well-documented. It's, uh, you know, John Mack, uh, Dr. John Mack from Harvard University went there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful film. So I work with him, uh, you know, it helps sort of promote his film because, uh, you know, he didn't get the proper distribution or release that he should have gotten. It, part of that had to do with the pandemic and there are other legal issues that are involved with that. But, you know, so he does screenings around the country, one night exclusives where he shows up personally, uh, you know, discusses the film and does a Q&A afterwards. And he's got one coming up in Oxford, Mississippi on the 7th, I think. Uh, so I'm giving a little plug. But, uh, you know, it's a great film, and I like working with people that are authentic and doing something that's good. Um, and I'm happy to work with anybody else that wants to work in this field, um, you know, and help them further the cause. Thank you. It's been really great having you on tonight. And uh, I'm really glad that uh, you sent the first email to me and we've gotten to know each other. It's been a Same. really, uh, yeah. Really Same like here. I mean, doing. We've had, yeah. you know, numerous phone conversations over the last several weeks, like, you know, like we yeah. like you opened up with. So I really appreciate you having me on. This isn't my normal sort of thing, uh, but I'm happy to be on here because this issue is really important. And I think the more people that are, you know, intricately involved in this and can help facilitate, you know, this sort of process, you know, the more people that need to get involved. So I'm happy to do it. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much. And I'll put your information down in the show notes and the text below on these uh, various platforms. Thank you very much, Kevin. You take care. Thank you, Martin. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure thing. All right, everyone. So we'll be back next week with Michael Schratt. And remember, if you want to check out uh, UAP Crossfire Thursday night uh, on this YouTube channel and at KGRA Radio, and that's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thanks so much. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.